Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA Today on this Tuesday, March 1st. Meteorological spring has started across the country. They do that on the first of the month, and temps are warming up for a lot of folks across the country today. Things are also warming up in the markets. Taking a look at where the trade sits today so far, we've got big moves to the upside all across the agricultural commodities, corn, beans, wheat, oats, everything up solid. We're even seeing moves to the upside in live cattle and lean hogs. The only weakness today is the feeder cattle market. Unsurprising with new crop corn up 16 cents and old crop up 30 plus cents. It makes sense. We'd see a little weakness there. We're going to be talking markets at the end of the program with our friend Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. He's been holding his corn. Last we talked to him was about two weeks ago. We'll see if this rally has made him pull the trigger. We're also going to talk with Jackie Fatka. She was at the Ag Outlook Forum this past week with the USDA. She's got an update on some of the things that were discussed there. And in segment three, we're going to speak with our friend John Hulsman. John's the host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. He lives in Milan, Italy. He has been tracking the situation between Russia and Ukraine very closely. In fact, last week, he was supposed to come on the program, but he was called to NATO to debrief them. Well, today he has made the time. He will be joining us here in just a little bit. But first, let's talk about this meat market, specifically red meat exports. 2021 was a banner year. How is it going to fare in 2022? That's the question. And Aaron Borer, the economist at the U.S. Meat Export Federation, really discussed this question at the Ag Outlook Forum. Aaron, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. You mentioned in your conversation with the folks at the Ag Outlook Forum the 2021 record year for red meat exports, but there are some challenges. Looking down the line in 2022, Aaron, what is the biggest challenge in your mind to getting more red meat off American shores? Yeah, it is those supply chain issues. And I know we've been hearing about them for more than a year but they seem to really deteriorate in about the fourth quarter of last year. And the situation is incredibly challenging here as we start or near the end of the first quarter of 2022. When we think about these supply chains, Erin, a lot of us on the consumer side are used to delays in shipments, boats, of course, waiting off the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. We've seen those pictures for the past several months. How is that impacting red meat exports? Once the boats come in, then we can fill them with whatever we want and ship them out, right? Right. In theory, yes. And so it's been the import surge and those imported products are generally paying a shipping rate, sometimes 10 times that of the rate on exported products leaving the U.S., for example, going back to Asia. And so it's a number of factors, but in my mind, that economic incentive to essentially flip those containers as fast as the carriers can, which often means just sending them back empty, and to get that you know higher-priced Asia to the U.S. shipment, and that unfortunately means leaving 
U.S. ag exports behind. And even if we just look at outbound loaded volumes across, you know, all products, those outbound loaded shipments are actually down fairly significantly, not only year on year, but even compared back to 2019 out of those main West Coast ports. So looking at decreases of 23% to 12.5% if you move further north. And that contrasts with the inbound or the imported container volumes being up essentially 6 to 17% across those West Coast ports. So, yeah, a real strong economic incentive to uh, get that product here and then get the empty back as fast as you can to bring more in, again, because of those higher fees that are being paid on imported product. And then just the the sheer volume means that things are bogged down, right? So that's also been a big part of the challenge, and that's across the whole supply chain. And so getting schedules to match um, has been an issue. And then just changes in course on ships that have already sailed. And the bottom line is all of this is a negative once product is able to go on shelf life, on um, market access issues, if you don't have a container seal and the ship went somewhere else instead of just going direct to call. Um, And all of it adds cost, uncertainty, and my biggest concern is really our chilled products. And that's our our high value, our niche comparative advantage. And these products are at the biggest risk because importers have had to sometimes freeze product on arrival or, you know, kind of offload at a cheaper price. And they're the ones that are now saying, whoa, we probably need to slow down on chilled. And again, Erin, you touch on the chilled product there. For folks who maybe aren't in the meat industry, can you talk about what's the difference in product and in price typically between a chilled red meat product and a frozen red meat product? Is there usually a, a big premium there for the chilled? Definitely. Yep. So chilled, if we look at U.S. beef uh, exports on these waterbound shipments of chilled products, they were valued at $3.73 billion last year. And actually chilled products seem to be getting some container priority and exporters and importers were able to and focusing on doing chilled to make sure that that product did move. But that situation, again, seemed to deteriorate basically in Q4 of last year. And those premiums over frozen, the reason you want to be in the chilled business is, for example, in Japan, it was $1.77 a pound premium. Korea was $2.20 per pound premium. And Taiwan, $2.54 premium on the chilled product. And remember, this is our chilled and prime beef that you want to be able to move at retail in chilled form. And again, it's our advantage, typically. Absolutely. And it's with that chilled product, really, that the American taste advantage, in my opinion, shines for that foreign consumer. Erin, you touched on the challenges, the surge in purchases, making it worthwhile for these shipping companies to ship that container back empty rather than wait for loading and the surge of purchases here in this country. Do we see those moderating here as the economy perhaps returns to normal? Yeah, and that is the big question. It's almost a double-edged sword, right? If we see U.S demand cool, that can be a bit of a negative sign overall. Although I think what we're really watching is perhaps the shift back to more U.S. spending on services. And we know that did and has gotten underway um, kind of since mid of last year. But at what point do we really back off on the purchases of stuff and really shift more heavily back into eating at restaurants, going on vacation, the type of experiences that we used to spend relatively more money on? And 
I think also a key indicator to watch besides consumer spending um, patterns is those retail inventories and whether retail inventories get back to a more normal level. And that, to me, should signal a slowdown in the imported surge where these retailers have been just trying to normalize what product they have available. And then how much were, are they pulling ahead, you know, with the fear of, of missing out and not being able to get product in? So I'm curious whether we start to see things normalize as they may have pulled. We know they had been pulling product ahead. So will those inventories build? Yes, as we await the return to normalcy, a lot of things to keep an eye on as we come out of this COVID slowdown. Aaron Borer, economist with the U.S. Meat Export Federation, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. And folks, stick around when we return. Jackie Fatka will have an in-depth look at last week's Ag Outlook Forum on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. 
We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are Fighting Blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues, and we just spoke with Erin Borer of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Last week, she was one of the panelists at the USDA's Ag Outlook Forum. Well, Jackie Fatka, the policy editor with Farm Progress, was there covering the whole event. She's got an update for us today. Jackie, thanks for taking the time to join us on AOA. Always great talking with you, Mike. Let's talk about this Ag Outlook Forum. The first session was on trade. Jackie, did we learn anything new about the Biden administration approach to trade here uh, in the year ahead? You know, I think uh, we we had a great year of trade in 2021, and there's a lot of expectations that we could see that even build in 2022. Uh, you know, USDA is fresh off of a its first in-person trade mission to Dubai uh, just in, within the last couple of weeks as well. So a lot of uh, momentum building off of that too, both from Secretary Vilsack, who shared about some of those great interactions as well as uh, it, Deputy uh, Undersecretary at, at the Foreign Ag Services, Daniel Whitley, uh, who who had some great things to say from, from their trip to Dubai. But yeah, they're hoping, you know, we saw record levels in 2021 up from 2014, which was the last year that we saw records, but they're hoping to even increase that more in 2022. And, and you know, they talk about having over $200 billion in U.S. ag exports um, here in the next couple of years. So, you know, I think a lot of us here are maybe a little discouraged that we haven't seen some of the trade agreements or, you know, that type of approach to to trade from this Biden administration. But obviously they, they're doing something right. And and even with the challenges on the shipping side, we were still able to, to see a record year, which actually around the world, people are noticing that they realize even with problems in shipping and the supply chain that U.S. can still be a reliable supplier of ag goods. Well, and that is, that has always been a chief selling point for American ag products is we can get stuff where it needs to go when it needs to get there, which is not something a lot of folks can say around the world. Jackie, as we think about trade heading into the Ag Outlook Forum, it was expected that uh, a U.S. trade rep, Catherine Tai, was going to discuss trade with China. And then, of course, while the event was underway, really, Russia invaded Ukraine. Were there any hot button topics that were raised on either of those two fronts? Did Tai have anything to say about how we could normalize trade with China going forward? You know, so Secretary Vilsack sat down with kind of just a, a fireside chat with uh, U.S. Trade Ambassador Catherine Tai and asked a lot of the questions that a lot of us were wanting to know the answers. You mentioned China, um, and you know, she gave an update on China. Obviously, they now that we know what the full year 2021 values were for trade, we know that they did not live up to their full commitment that they had promised under the phase one. Now, that being said, uh, ag did have a lot of products going to China. And, um, you know, even though they didn't meet their top line goal, 
there was still a lot of product there, but you know, as they are now going through and, and now it's a, okay, how do we hold them accountable? And, and she had made some comments, you know, that there's been direct and honest conversations with the Chinese since really the beginning of October on, on how they make good on this agreement. And she said they've not been easy conversations and they've gotten more difficult over time. She didn't give a real good direction of where things are going in that conversation, just maybe that they're getting a little bit more difficult. And also, you know, throughout the other parts of the the outlook, others were also saying, hey, uh, let's make sure that we don't put all of our eggs in China. I think that that's one thing that Daniel Whitley mentioned is that 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 kind of keeps them up at night, right? We have a lot of our ag products that go to China. At any given moment, they could still, again, shut the door. And so I think, you know, China is is an adversary, but also an important end, you know, end market for a lot of our ag products. And so it, it makes that relationship very very important and also sometimes very difficult. Um, and, and yeah, there was talk about Ukraine. You mentioned Ukraine. And I think going into that, uh, you know, as I was talking with our market folks, the Ukraine situation really changes a lot of the outlook for the U.S. industry. And I think everybody will be watching very closely how things progress, what what could change. You know, I mentioned reliable supplier. Is the U.S. able to uh, pick up maybe where some of those markets were getting from Ukraine. Um, and, and they are a large powerhouse when it comes to ag markets. So obviously the Ukraine situation is another really important one to be watching. It is indeed. But international trade is not the only thing that was a focus there at the Ag Outlook Forum. Jackie, I understand they also had some conversations about these livestock market reforms that have been really in the conversation for the past two years. Did we get any updates on how USDA is going to be uh, reinforcing or, or enforcing the Packers and Stockyards Act? You know, they keep saying, you know, that rule is supposed to be coming. I think everybody, we're watching for that. They're still trying to kind of need the thread, thread the needle and make sure that whatever they do doesn't do harm to the marketplace, but also provide some of those protections. So uh, not, not what I was getting, you know, I didn't. I didn't hear this is all virtual this year, so it's a little harder to get some of those side room conversations. You know, last week I was actually in person at the National Ethical Conference, and it really is great when these events are in person because you can have some of those deeper conversations or talk with people one-on-one and, and virtual. As much as we want it to be fantastic, it just doesn't have that same interface. And so I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, more more live events coming up, but this USDA outlook was all virtual this year. Yeah, it's nice to be able to gather around the coffee maker and talk shop with other professionals. <laughs> Jackie, so let's talk climate smart ag and conservation. These are two topics that I know USDA has been emphasizing in, in a big way. Did we get any new insight or advice from USDA on either of these things? So yeah, that was one of their main goals of this Outlook Forum, uh, you know, new paths and sustainability and productivity. And I think you know, U.S. is is really trying to take a leadership role of pairing the ability to be sustainable, but also be productive. You know, this is different than the EU approach of mandating certain production practices or limiting production practices and forcing to organic or limiting types of uh, pesticides or herbicides. Um, and the U.S. is really trying to take a more holistic approach. And so, yeah, there were several different 
uh, breakout sessions and, and focus on how to make sure that whatever we do is voluntary, but also helping move that needle and, and helping encourage climate smart ag practices. Um, you know, some great things that are going on in the dairy industry. Um, the Fair Life CEO was on a panel, as well as Growth Energy, uh, Emily Score, CEO, um, on some of the things that are going on in the renewable side with ethanol. Um, and, and really just trying to continue that conversation of how do we encourage some of these climate smart actions and USDA is putting a lot of money on that. They've, they've also said here they're going to have a billion dollars for some pilot projects. So in, in developing climate smart commodities. So how do you get paid maybe more for the fact that you are doing some of these actions that also have a benefit to the climate on your farm. So not just getting a check from the green elevator for corn, but maybe also getting another premium from General Mills for what you're doing, uh, whether it's no-till or cover crops and, and trying to figure out ways that we can continue to add more revenue to farmers' bottom lines by what they're doing on the climate side of things. And it sounds like, Jackie, the important word, at least that I heard you mention there, and I'm sure a lot of listeners heard it as well, it still sounds as though the USDA is emphasizing voluntary approaches. So we're going to be focusing, it sounds like, more on the carrot than on the stick with regard to these environmental climate smart ag practices. Definitely. And, you know, I think that, that gives a lot of people peace in the countryside. Uh, Secretary Vilsack is really following the lead of um, the food uh, FACA, the Food Agricultural coalition that is is really kind of making sure that this is voluntary that it is market-based and and their their suggestion a couple years ago was pilot projects and so usda is really kind of taking that to heart and making sure that we walk before we run on how we try to really move the needle on maybe making sure that we're taking care of our soils but also making sure that farms are profitable Indeed, that is the Balancing Act. Jackie, Farm Bill discussions are underway today, I understand. You get to go to a hearing right after this? Yeah, this is a, there's a Farm Bill hearing going on. I uh, just started a little while ago, so I'll be tuning in right after I get off the phone with you. But we uh, a, a lot of the ag commodity groups are, are before the House Ag Committee today, and this is on the Title I. So we're going to hear more from them on some of their key priorities going forward. Well, we look forward to getting that update from you in a bit. Jackie Fatka, Policy Editor with Farm Progress. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you. And folks, stick around. When we return, John Holzman, geopolitical strategist, will join us on the show with an update of what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Each and every day, DTN and progressive farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? 
the editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, we continue to watch grain and energy markets surge higher amid the ongoing fighting in Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine. We also saw another day, another export sale of soybeans to China. 264,000 metric tons of beans for the new crop marketing year announced this morning to China. As we look across these markets, we continue to see surging prices higher. The VIX trading near 31 this morning as we continue to see money flow rotate out of the equities into the commodity sector. Crude oil prices are trading above $101 per barrel, while the grain and oilseed sector again is sharply higher this morning. Now, a third of the world's exportable wheat is now unavailable due to Black Sea traffic being shut down, with more than 16% of the world's corn exports at a significant portion of the fertilizer needed to produce the 2022 crops in the Northern Hemisphere. Focus also now increasingly on the edible oils market, as Ukraine accounted for roughly half of the world's sunflower oil exports, while Russia added another quarter. Edible oils, to some extent, are interchangeable, and that's helping to raise demand for palm oil, canola oil, soy oil, etc., Taking a look at market numbers, we see May corn that is currently up 35, 725 at three quarters. December corn up 19 to three quarters, 627. May soybeans up 53 at a quarter at 1690. November beans up 42 at 1477 at three quarters. May bean meal up 760 a ton, 45390. May bean oil up 371 points, 7623. May Chicago wheat up 50, 984. May Kansas City wheat up 50 at 10.03. May spring wheat is up 33 at three quarters at 10.27 at three quarters. Mixed action in livestock. April live cattle up 92, 142.35. March feeder cattle down 37, 157.35. April hogs unchanged at 103.50. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to be having a conversation with our friend John Holzman next. John is a geopolitical strategist. We've talked to him several times on the show. He is the host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. John is based out of Milan, Italy, a little closer to the situation physically developing in Ukraine. So, John, if you would, give us an update. What does the situation on the ground in Ukraine look like from your perspective? Well, hey, Mike, uh, Vladimir Putin has not gotten his knockout blow right away. The initial blitzkrieg has failed. It's failed for two reasons. One, nobody expected the heroic resistance of the Ukrainians on the ground. They were seen as a divided country, but 90% of the country in polling is behind President Zelensky and the Ukrainian resistance. So this has been a shock and they have fought stoically. And secondly, the Russian plan was way too complicated. It's a four-pronged attack, and the Russians haven't done a plan this complicated since World War II, and so far they're not up to it, and logistics are holding them back. So they have yet to take any major cities six days into the fighting. Now, the fighting is far from over, and the Russians are now going to double down and fight in cities and fight in a very bloody and brutal way, and they're likely to take cities but down the road, this is going to hurt them because they can't retain a country the size of Ukraine if people hate them for the way they took it. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's a bit of a quagmire setting up there in Ukraine for Russia, at least as you mentioned, we're six days in. John, as you think of Kiev, Kiev and Kharkov, the two major cities that are being bombarded, what's your expectation for their ability to stay Ukrainian here in the short term? Well, in the short term, I mean, I think immediately they will. But again, the, the Russians have only committed about 70 percent of their 190,000 troops. And there's a convoy heading toward Kiev that, that, that stretches for about 40 miles. I mean, in the end, if the Russians want to fight within cities where the casualty numbers are very high, the norm is strategically you need six attackers for every defender in a city to take it if the Russians are prepared to spend the blood to do that, and I think they are, they will take the cities in the east. But the west of Ukraine, and let's let's tell the audience, Ukraine is an immensely huge country. It's bigger than any Western European country. The west of the country has always looked to, to the Habsburg Empire, of which it used to be a part, and is much more European. And I see a guerrilla war forming out of this with the European Union bankrolling the war, the Americans providing weapons. And I don't see how Putin pacifies this place. Three to five years out with sanctions on, look for this country to go the other way and this to be Russia's Afghanistan. Well, okay, we're going to have to keep an eye on that. John, you touched on sanctions. This is the next effect. Obviously, the folks in the Ukraine are going to continue this bloody battle for some time. For those of us outside Ukraine, as we watch it, the impact on us obviously is, is markets and it's in the, the changing global trade flows. As wow. you think about the sanctions that, that Europe and America have put on Russia, have they been effective, John, in your opinion? I think they will be. This is not the usual kind of window dressing for four oligarchs and a dog. This is actually going to amount to something. The main one is the SWIFT system, which is, in effect, it's, it's what I live my life by. It's the global financial transaction system. And if you're outside of it, it, in effect, keeps you outside of the world economy. And by doing this, it's worth about 5% of GDP a year to Russia. Now, European banks are going to take a hit for doing it, but so far Europe has been remarkably unified in seeing the need to do this. 
And so these sanctions on the oligarchs and on de-dollarizing and keeping Russia out of the global economy seem to be effective. So that plus a guerrilla war really puts pressure on Putin in more of the three to five year mark. Yeah, the Russians can overrun eastern Ukraine. The question is, can they pacify it and can they keep it in the long run? And because of these sanctions and because of their problems with doing so, I think not. John, we've talked and we're watching today, the grain markets here in the U.S. are absolutely going crazy. We are sure. higher in a big way so far. Sure. Old, new crop corn up 15, old crop up 30. How, or I guess, in eastern Ukraine, what does the, the opportunity look like for Ukrainian farmers to actually get a crop in the ground this year? Well, it'll be very hard. And I think those numbers for American farmers are going to be good because, as you know, Ukraine was the bed breadbasket of the Soviet Union and Russia also a major weed producer. And if this is now all off the table, if there's utter chaos in Ukraine for three to five years, which is what I predict, and Russia is now not part of the global system, in other words, it trades with China, which it will do illicitly, of course, but it doesn't trade with the Western world. This means that what matters in the future is not just having supply, it's the security of supply. And more and more, that's going to matter. That's true in terms of natural gas, where suddenly you care where it comes from. If you're Western Europe, you care, does it come from Norway, where the only thing that can happen to you is a skiing accident, or Russia, where you have to deal with Mr. Putin. Obviously, you'd prefer Norway or Qatar or the United States and shale. And indeed, the Germans are on for building liquefied natural gas terminals to try to change this. The same is true for wheat, that if you can be assured of supply from an area with no political risk like the United States, as opposed to Ukraine or Russia, you're going to take it. So in that way, it's very good news for American farmers. That is good to hear. And you mentioned natural gas. John, this was one of the major sticking points leading up to the violence yeah. was, will Germany be willing yeah. to put a hard line on Russia if they're getting their gas? So far, Gazprom has said it sounds as though supplies are uninterrupted. How do you how do you think Russia is going to react with their natural gas supplies, knowing they've got that leverage over Western Europe? Well, leverage works two ways. I mean, I don't think they're going to mess with it. Nord Stream 2, which as we've talked about, Mike, would have doubled German dependence. Again, it's like going to a drug dealer and asking for double the dose. I mean, I was always against this. Um, and now the Germans have taken it off the table. The new Schultz government has taken it off the table. I think Gazprom is going to need the money and going to keep supply very regular, but there will not be this doubling of supply. Meanwhile, Europe as a whole is looking to diversify. About 40% of natural gas to Europe comes from Russia. They're now looking at, again, the source of supply. So they're looking at liquefied natural gas and building terminals in Germany so they can acquire American shale revolution products. They're looking at more from Norway, again, no, no risk, more from Qatar, which in essence is the swing producer in natural gas and is a Gulf state pro-Western ally. It's not that natural gas in Russia will go to nothing, but if you get that 40% number down to 20% and you increase all the other supplies, Europe can have a lot more freedom to attack the Russians on a number of strategic issues than if not. So look for diversification, which again is very good news for America. It is indeed. John, one of the things that I have has surprised me watching the reaction to the Russian invasion is the speed at which Western companies, and I'm noticing it particularly in the oil space, are saying, hey, we're just going to sell our Russian assets. We don't want any part of this. This seems new to me as an outside observer. Are you surprised at the lengths to which Western countries are willing to do to extricate themselves from Russia? I, I am, Mike. I think you're absolutely on the money. It's shocking how quickly these cozy relationships with Russia have become toxic literally in five days. 
Europe has moved more strategically in five days to be a serious player than it has in 20 years. The things I've begged them to do, spend real money on defense, have a real energy policy, put real sanctions on Russia. I've been begging for 20 years. And in the course of a week, they've done it because Putin has made his brand toxic. And I think that that will continue afoot. And that's why ultimately, unless they can land a knockout blow, and I mean quickly, look for a guerrilla war in the West. I wrote a book about Lawrence of Arabia. He would love this situation. Western Ukraine, anti-Russian, pro-EU, pro-Europe, pro-America, bankrolled by Europe and getting American weaponry. This is a Lorenzian fantasy. And I think Putin's bitten off more than he can chew. He's a snake who's tried to swallow some sort of porcupine, and that doesn't go well. It doesn't. But even as that porcupine gets swallowed, it's going to fight, but it's not going to have a lot of fun. And to that end, you mentioned three to five years of, of yeah. potential unrest here in Ukraine. We've already seen reports. I've seen half a million refugees fleeing yeah. the Ukraine, heading into Western Europe. John, does this destabilize Europe in any way we should be concerned about? No, but it's worth watching, Mike, because the real number, the EU estimates worst case scenario today, and it's worst case scenario, I want to say that, but 7 million refugees, there are about 44 million Ukrainians. So that's an immense number of people heading toward Europe. The EU can manage this, but it's going to take a tremendous effort to do so. It will not destabilize them inherently. Remember, we moved 25 million refugees after World War II under the genius of Eisenhower and others. But it will be a huge challenge for Europe going ahead. And yes, Mike, the call is three to five years of chaos here. The Russians can take these cities if they want to, and it'll be a bloodbath and horrible, and I think they'll do it. But in doing so, that will leave them unable to pacify the country. That's the paradox for them. Because in winning ugly, they will see to it that they have to stay forever as an occupying power. You let these sanctions you know, take time and take root. You let these other areas matter for guerrilla war. And Putin is indeed swallowed a porcupine. Yeah, an ugly win could preface a long defeat. John, while the people in the Ukraine are suffering, we're also seeing suffering moving towards the people in Russia. The ruble has collapsed. Investors are fleeing. What's the situation on the ground in Russia? Is there enough energy there to slow Putin down? No, not at the moment, because the Russians have about $600 million, billion dollars in reserves. So they've been they've built up a war chest expecting this to happen. So he has freedom of maneuver. But this doesn't last forever. They go through 200 billion a year. So this buys Putin about three years of grace. But that's not a very long time to subdue a country as large as Ukraine. This will bite immediately. It's 5% of GDP a year, which isn't nothing. He'll go through the 600 billion in about three years, four at the most, but say three. And in three to five years, he's going to have a real problem if it isn't pacified. So, yes, he's built up his war chest, but this chest, like all war chests, is not infinite. It is, and we're going to continue to watch this play out. Big thanks to John Holzman, geopolitical strategist, host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. John, thanks for joining us today. Pleasure as always, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll talk about how some of these changes in Russia or Ukraine are impacting the markets with the Wayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. 
In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Will Stafford. He's the CHS Washington representative for a farm policy update. Will, welcome to the show. Let's discuss the latest happenings on the next farm bill. Have there been any updates as of yet to key issues on this bill? I wouldn't say updates, Mike, but both the ag committees in the House and the Senate are starting to get their ducks in a row for how they want to approach this new farm bill. Um, as you know, the current one expires uh, at the end of September in 2023, which means that if they're following timelines of the past, they're really going to have to start getting going in the next few months, uh, holding hearings, uh, both outside of D.C. and in D.C., hearing what uh, ag groups' priorities are going to be, 
um, hearing what farmers want to see changed in the in the next farm bill. Uh, from what we think, it seems like this next farm bill will be more of an evolutionary farm bill rather than a revolutionary farm bill, meaning that unlike some farm bills in the past, I doubt we're going to see major massive changes to the farm policy areas of the bill. Um, but we may see some tweaks or some smaller changes to make programs work better for constituents. Okay. Well, there are still a lot of questions about the carbon market. Has there been any progress with the Growing Climate Solutions Act since it passed the Senate last summer? Unfortunately, we have not seen any movement on the House side yet. It is still stuck in the House Agriculture Committee. That's a bill that CHS is supportive of. We feel that it really helps to open up and open up some of those carbon markets for farmers and ranchers to participate in, breaks down some barriers that allow them to be able to participate in those markets. And it's something that we'd like to see passed. Will Stafford, CHS Washington representative, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. And folks, thanks for joining us around the table. To learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership, visit cooperativeownership.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we just finished discussing the politics of the situation with Russia and the Ukraine with our friend John Holzman. And he talked about how Russia, excuse me, the, the Europeans are looking to find new sources of energy, nat natural gas and crude oil. Well, the energy markets globally are reacting to that West Texas intermediate crude, which is effectively the benchmark for American crude oil production. European crude oil is typically traded under the Brent crude oil thing. And uh, West Texas. Texas up $7.75 today, $7.75 per barrel, well over $100. This rally is spreading across almost all markets, certainly most commodities. And to help us make sense of it, our friend Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing joins us. And last time we had him on was a few weeks ago, and Dwayne was holding back on making some corn sales, expecting this rally to continue. Dwayne, that was 30 cents ago. Are you pulling the trigger on corn sales yet? I'm thinking Dwayne got really lucky. No, I, <laughs> um, to answer your question, I'm still not. Now, was I panicking on Friday, and this probably would have been a different interview then? It, yeah, absolutely. That was pretty depressing. But, man, a lot of change as far as that Russia-Ukraine tensions you mentioned. Right now, we're back again to where uncertainty equals higher prices. So I'm still holding on to old crop corn, luckily. Um, but I do think... You know, this war premium that's being built in this market is will be your rally to sell it on. But, Mike, i got to be honest, I, I don't know where the top is. It's just kind of follow the market for now. You mentioned some of those uncertainties. I mean, I'm now reading where there's talk that China bought maybe 10 cargoes of U.S. corn yesterday because they're worried they're not going to get it out of the Ukraine. And I would be worried, too, if I was China. And I'm also reading that China's buying March to April soybeans out of the U.S. because of the well, lower crop out of Brazil and the logistic problems out of Brazil. So that, that's a new one. So a lot of bullish headlines rallying the market uh, up limit in some cases today. Yeah, up limit. And Dwayne, this is the situation you alluded to it. It's, it's tough to sell into a market where we're up 30 cents, down 40 cents the next day, up 35 cents the next day. Talk to us about mindset. How do you handle, how does a trader manage risk when we're looking at this kind of volatility in the markets? 
Right. You're right. You know, if you look at the trade action day up limit, it screams don't don't sell your old crop corn right now. But if you're not going to do the scale up selling that we normally do, where you just set price targets and leave them out there, if you're going to just sit back and watch, then on a day like Friday where it's down sharply or Thursday and Friday combined, are you strong enough to say that was the high and sell it? And Luckily, I was too weak to do it on Friday, so we still have our corn. But you have to go in with either that mindset or talk to your broker about you know, like weekly put options or, or short-term risk management strategies. They still give you the upside, but uh, put a floor in at least. But they're not cheap. I mean, you're going to be spending 10 to 15 cents each week on a weekly put option in corn, which eventually, of course, would add up. But like I said, some point in this rally, you do need to sell the old crop. Yeah, everything has a top. It's just a matter of finding it. So that's on the cord side. Dwayne, we also saw a big flash export sale of soybeans today. As you mentioned, beans continue to rally. With the focus that's been on Russia and Ukraine, we haven't talked a whole lot lately about weather in South America. What have you heard is coming out of the fields down there in Brazil and Argentina? Yeah, actually, weather's probably bearish uh, this week. The forecast is all of Argentina is going to get some rains this week, uh, maybe a little bit of a harvest delay in northern Brazil. But they we're almost to the point where maybe rains don't matter in South America because we got a U.S. report one week from tomorrow. Uh, the vast majority expects U.S. state to lower the soybean production in Argentina and Brazil because we just didn't cut it enough last month. So we're getting rains to stabilize the crop, but it's still a smaller crop than U.S. state is putting out there right now. It is indeed. Uh, Dwayne, let's look over at the livestock side of the ledger. Really, the only red on my market screen so far today is in feeder cattle. Unsurprising, given the rally in the corn market. How are feeder cattle producers handling this? You've got break-evens being shattered on a day when corn rises 35 cents a bushel. Where do you see feeder cattle headed? Right. I, overall, I'd actually have to say the feeder cattle action day is decent. Yes, we're, we're red, we're down, but like you said, when you're up limit in corn, what, what do you expect? Now, we, boy, cash feeders probably lost 10 bucks in the last uh, few days here, and, and that hurts for the cash feeder guy. Um, it, it's tough on the feeder side, but I think on the live cattle side, it feels to me like we maybe put in a significant low yesterday where we hit the upward trend line, and we're seeing a little bit of green there, maybe getting some spillover buying from the hog market. But, uh, you know, cash and cutouts that have dipped just a little bit in live cattle. I think they find support here now. So, no, feeders, sadly, I, I think the highs might be in. I, we get this high-priced corn. I don't see why nearby would be up at back to the highs of 174. So those highs are probably in for the feeders, but I think live cattle have potential. And you mentioned a little bit of green despite the rise in corn, and it's the hog market, Dwayne, that's rocking and rolling today. Triple-digit moves to the upside in hogs. Where is this hog market going, Dwayne? <laughs> I think you're going to see choppy trade back and forth. I think last week was a significant high. Uh, cash market, for the first time in a long time, stumbled just a little bit. And now it looks like slaughter weights are up a little bit, slaughter backing off a little bit of packing plants. So I, that gives me confidence to say that that high last week is probably the high for the near-term hogs anyway. You know, summer, that'll depend on too many factors yet. But uh so I look for a choppy trade sideways. Yes, now it's nice bounce back today, but I, I don't think it's got the fundamentals to go make new highs anymore. Before we let you go, Dwayne, I know you're keeping a wary eye on this crude oil market. West Texas, 104 trading right now. How high can crude oil run? Do we just take our hats off and watch where this thing goes? Probably. I mean, yeah, it's 
pretty amazing. You know, you, you mentioned the biggest news. You know, if Europe tries to start to look for other places for energy, that's a big deal. But I mean, that doesn't happen overnight, though. So I, I think this spike here will be followed by a big-time pullback at, at some point in time. But, you know, crude oil stocks here domestically, crushing, uh, Cushing, Oklahoma, are actually fairly sharply lower than the last couple of years. Now, that was COVID year, so keep that in mind, too. But fundamentals are somewhat bullish, but uh, this is a spec crowd driving this market. I mean, it's go ahead and follow the trade action higher for now, but uh, <laughs> there will be a pullback that will be a little bit painful at some point in time. And remember, no limits on crude oil, so be careful there. That's right. No limits. We've already, we're up another dollar already in crude since I asked that question. Big thanks to Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing for taking the time to join us on AOA. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, Mike. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk more markets with Arlen Suderman and the consolidation in the biofuel space with Todd Neely. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.